this morning, uh, those memories are brought to mind. And I hope that as we spend time together focusing on the task that all of us will be about this summer, uh, we'll have a shared common experience that we'll look back on and give thanks to God for as well. Before I do get started, I have a quick announcement, and I think it's pretty appropriate for today. Uh, you guys know the missions teams are trying to raise support and going out. So this is an announcement from the Italy team with regard to a fundraiser. Tomorrow, April 8th, the Italy team is having a fundraiser at the Carl, Carl Juniors on Lions and Valley Roads right up here across from the Bank of America. Just mention that you are with the Master's College or present one of the flyers in the Student Center when you place your order, and the Italy team will get part of the proceeds. So uh, that's my kind of fundraiser. We all got to eat, and uh, if we can pocket a little bit of money for missions, then we're all better off for that. So uh, support the Italy team tomorrow at Carl's Jr. on Lyons Avenue. Will you pray with me as we get started? Lord, it's good to come before you. It has been a treat to worship. It's been a long year. It's been a rich year. God, as I think of the opportunity to be free from our normal schedule this summer, Lord, it's my desire that all of us would go forward with confidence to proclaim the gospel in whatever our mission field might be, whether it's a workplace or whether it's an overseas uh, missions trip. God, I pray that you prepare us in these last days to take advantage of the resources around us, the Bible training, the relationships, the professors, uh, all that is here, God, that will make us strong and provide for us Uh, the strength that we can uh, go forward and to present the gospel to the people that we will meet. We trust you for this morning. Pray that you receive glory from it. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we get started, I thought it might be appropriate for me to uh, just give you a picture, a window on what's taking place around the world with regard to missions. Sometimes we get a little isolated here at the Master's College. A few of you get to watch CNN on a regular basis. Uh, And you will not hear these stories on CNN. So let me tell you a few things that are taking place. In Africa, more than 100 African young people were commissioned to proclaim the gospel around the world during Commission 94 in Nairobi, Kenya, December 27th through January 2nd of this last year. The annual conference sponsored by the Fellowship of Christian Unions, FOCUS, drew 1,300 participants from Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, Cameroon, Lesotho, South Africa, Tanzania, the United States, and Canada. Focus, affiliated with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students since 1979, is part of an interdenominational student movement supporting Christian unions in universities and colleges in 43 African countries. God's doing a work there on the continent of Africa. In Korea, despite decades of long persecution from Pyongyang, this is North Korea, the Christian community may number in the hundreds of thousands. According to China Watcher Tony Lambert of Overseas Missionary Fellowship, the number meeting in house churches today may be 200,000. News Network International's Andrew Wark, he estimates that there are at least 400,000 believers in home churches in North Korea today. Some of you are familiar with the Jesus Film and have been part of ministries using that. Campus Crusade reports that the Jesus Film, on the 15th anniversary of its release, has been translated into 308 languages with another 159 in production and is seen in 216 countries, including 57 on television. An estimated 606 million people have seen the film based on the Gospel of Luke. It's good stuff. Again, in Kenya, CB International says a breakthrough has occurred among the Muslim Digo people in Kenya. Last year, there were 32 converts from Islam out of this people group. God's raising up a church among the Digo people in Kenya. What else is going on? In Siberia, where one of our teams will be this summer, the first scripture portion of any kind in the Yakut language has been presented to the Siberian tribal people who have a population of 400,000. First time they get the gospel in their own language. These people reside in eastern Russia. Interact missionaries presented Jesus and the early church, also known as the Picture Bible New Testament, to Yakut leaders in Yakutsk, Russia, on November 19th. In West Bengal, Hundreds of Muslims in West Bengal, India, have become Christians through a Bible society ministry named Call of Hope since 1986. Over the last year, the ministry has distributed 76,000 scripture selections. That's a tongue twister. 76,000 scripture selections and 7,000 books. Those interested in further contact are enrolled in correspondence courses. In Korea, South Korea, the Korea Research Institute for Missions, Seoul, says the number of Korean missionaries is still growing in the 1990s. Of the 3,272 missionaries the Institute counts, 
There are 1,712 women and 1,560 men. An earlier estimate by the Torch Center career puts it at 3,500 missionaries being raised up in South Korea. In Nepal, more than 100 Baptists from Nepal and Northeast India held an evangelism conference in Nepal, according to the Baptist World Alliance. The focus was starting new churches. Nepalese Baptist leaders report 20 churches and 35 missions with 3,500 members. Meanwhile, over 700 people were on hand for the first annual Nepal Baptist Church Council meeting, September 27th through 29th. Baptists in Northeast Asia are the ones that are responsible for leading the Nepalese refugees to Christ. It's exciting stuff. God is at work around our world. And as we focus in on the opportunity that we have to go out this summer, and I read these stories, I realize that we're really gazing just from a human perspective. Any of us could go out and count these numbers and take surveys and find out this information, and it's good stuff. And I praise God for it. But you know, we don't need to go forward with just a human perspective. There's an eternal perspective that we find in Scripture. And as an introduction to our thoughts this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. And who better to give us that eternal perspective than the missionary, the man Paul, who was raised up, was the perfect person to take the gospel from the Jews. He had a Jewish heritage, was trained as a Pharisee, to initiate and introduce the gospel to the Gentile world and spent his life doing it, suffering tremendous persecution. He, more than anyone, should be able to explain to us what the eternal perspective of God himself is with regard to missions work. And the fact is, we're given a promise in these passages. Now let me give you the context. This is 2 Corinthians. What do we know about 1 Corinthians? There's some problems in that church, right? There is quite a bit of dissension among the followers. Some are saying, I'm of Christ, I'm some of Apollos, I'm of Paul. Everybody's jockeying for position. There's power struggle within the church. There's now reflection of the esteeming of others, as we are told to model within the church. What else do we know? There's jealousies about gifts, spiritual gifts. This thing given of God to advance the church, to minister to people. And there's jealousies. Paul, in his treatise... Uh, tremendous passages in chapter 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. He has to interrupt his treatise on spiritual gifts but, and says in chapter 13, but wait a second. Unless you understand that all of this is to be shared and done and practiced in the context of love, don't worry about it. Because it's empty, it's hollow. It's not worthwhile. So he has to stop his treatise in chapters 12 and 14 to wedge uh, our love chapter in there. And it's in the context of ministry. And here's these people who are abusing it. They're using it for themselves. We know about the immorality that exists in the church. This is not the model church, 1 Corinthians. So it's interesting as we turn to the book of 2 Corinthians to understand that this is a follow-up letter. It's a few years later, and Paul decides he's going to respond to his first letter and what's taking place uh, there in the Corinthian church. At the same time, Paul's facing accusations against his apostleship, uh, and he's writing to correct this. And so we come to 2 Corinthians understanding that Paul definitely has an agenda to respond to the Corinthian church. And here we are in verse 14. He's, he's begun his introduction. He's been talking about some of the things that are taking place in chapters 1 and 2. And he comes to verse 14 of chapter 2, and there's that key word. And this word always indicates to us uh, a change of thought or an addition here. It's the word but, or you might translate that now. In spite of all these things, I'm responding here to what's been taking place uh, in the Corinthian church. But, or now, thanks be to God. He changes his whole tone. I think it's important to note with, uh, to note with the Apostle Paul that one of the characteristics of his message is always thanksgiving. All but two of his epistles, uh, somewhere at the beginning of the text, start with, I thank God for you. And it's always referencing the work of salvation that's been done and is being acted out in that church that he's writing to. And so Paul is very consistent here. He says, but thanks, or now thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. 
Why is Paul saying give thanks back in verse 14? It's because he understands this eternal perspective. He understands really what the agenda of God is in the world. This morning I want to offer you four characteristics of the promised victory in this passage. Four characteristics of the promised victory. Let's take a look at verse 14 closely. Thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph in Christ. I'd circle the word always. That's a rich promise. Always. No matter what we face, the triumph, the victory is secure. It will always be experienced. No one can take that away. And as we go forward, we are promised that always we will be led in the triumph of Christ. Now, it's interesting to note, we know Paul often uh, took examples from current culture to try to relate a thought or a message to the people that he was preaching to. And so it is in this passage. He talks about a triumphant procession. I want to read to you what one theologian remarks on this passage. He says, you can remember this, thanks be unto God, which always leads us in Christ's triumph. Now, the cultural picture that's being drawn here is when a Roman general had been, been out into some distant land, he'd been sent out to a distant land to put down an uprising or to win new lands for the Roman Empire to defeat great armies, the Senate frequently voted him a triumph. So when we talk about a triumph, it's a military uh, observation that as this Roman general, and we understand at this time that the, the Roman Empire was conquering land after land after land, thus the term empire. And so it was very common understanding among residents or citizens of the Roman Empire that generals were sent out and that a triumph or a victory would be proclaimed once they defeated uh, that neighboring land. And so Paul is using this as an example for us as we go out to proclaim the gospel of Christ. So the Senate would vote that a triumph has been successfully completed. Back to the theologian's notes. When he and his army returned to the city, a public holiday was declared. And all the people thronged to the main thoroughfare to see this general enter in triumph. Here's a long line of captives, representatives of the people he has conquered. And so what you see is like a parade. We don't do this too often today, but imagine a parade down a street. And you've got the soldiers, you've got the general, but not just them, you've got the captives. They want to bring some people back as evidence that they have conquered this nation, this neighboring nation. And this is the picture that Paul draws here in this passage. And yet we're reminded that it is Christ who is the one who's leading the procession. Now, with the understanding that we will always be promised the victory and that Christ is at the head of that military uh, parade, that should assure for us a tremendous confidence as we anticipate world evangelism. The second characteristic I want to share with you is that the victory is proven. There's always evidence that the victory has been won. Take a look at the next phrase. And manifest. You understand the word there. Manifest means to make known, to reveal, to declare. It's some piece of evidence. People now see this. They know it to be true. It's made known. And manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Somehow, He's at work through us to accomplish this triumph, this victory. Christ is using us. And we don't understand why. We're sinful. We're imperfect people. But we do understand that we play a part in accomplishing the victory. Through our weak efforts, God works through us and accomplishes His goal, His agenda through us. But what's the evidence that the victory is won, that the victory is proven? I want to continue on with this theologian's notes with regard to this triumphal procession. He's mentioned that there's a long line of captives in this parade. It continues on and says, They are in chains, these captives, and are holding censers in their hands. You know what censers are? Hangs by a by chains, it's a little plate, and they burn incense in this, and the smell wafts out. They are in chains and are holding censers in their hands, and sweet, fragrant incense arises. Then comes the general, and behind 
him another long line of captains bearing censers. These in front of him are to be set at liberty, and the fragrant incense is the odor of life to them. Those behind are condemned to die and are going on to the arena. They are to be thrown into the wild beasts or put to death in some other way, and the fragrant incense that arises from their censers is to them a savor of death. It's the smell of death. But the general marches on in triumph. As Paul presented these words to the Corinthian church, they understood it because they had seen these processions. And they understood that the people in the front of the procession were the people who had laid down their arms and had been conquered by this general. And they were going to be granted liberty. But the ones behind who had been captured were the ones who were defiant, the ones who rejected his offer of peace. But all were told to carry these censers with, with incense rising out of it. And you can see very quickly, the ones who knew they were going to be set free, this represents to them hope. This smell is a pleasant smell to them. They're looking forward to residing there in that city uh, without any difficulty. But the people behind, who have been conquered, who have rejected the offer of peace, are the ones who know that within the next uh, few hours, they may be torn to shreds by some wild beast, or martyred or, or killed in some other way. And so as that incense wafts and rises into their nostrils, it represents to them the end of their life. and It is not a pleasant or a sweet smell. Very, very bold picture that Paul draws here. And so as we look at it, we understand that there are two pieces of evidence with regard to the victory. And it is us who represent that to the world. The first, of course, is the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every every place. Look on to verse 15. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16. To the one an aroma from death to death and to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? And so it is spiritually as we go forward and proclaim that God will win the battle. And we offer out His plan of peace. And those who accept it, to them, we are a fragrance of life. We brought hope to them. They will not be killed. To those who reject, the option, of course, is eternal death. And so, even in coming in contact with us, we are a constant reminder to them, we are a fragrance to them, that they are perishing, and that they are dying. The third characteristic of victory is that it is not for personal profit. Verse 17, For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Peddling the word of God. Selling it for personal profit. You know, as Paul went on his journeys, and we read through his epistles, we come in contact with several individuals who are seeking to preach Christ for their own personal gain. For the money that it will bring to them. For the power, the prestige. And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, we are not selling the Word of God like a used car salesman trying to deceive people about its message for some personal benefit. See, if we violate that, we're really violating the core of the Gospel because isn't it a free gift? And so if we were to attempt to make money, to find personal gain in promoting the Gospel, aren't we really violating the essence of of this free gift that God Himself, who could charge an incredible price for it, and lays it before us for us to freely take of, and then we intercede in our human efforts and try to abuse that and violate that. Paul says, no, that's not what we're about. He says, but we are sincere. Sincere. You can trust us. We are here to embrace you with the love and the gospel of God, to share that with you. We are offering you the peace plan. The last characteristic I want to point out is that victory comes by God and by God alone. We're not peddling the Word of God, but we're offering it in sincerity. As from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. And I think this may be the most important element that we can note from this passage. Yes, it will always be there. Yes, We represent an aroma to some. There's evidence of the victory. 
We don't get any personal profit, but we are actually sent out from God and we speak in the name of Jesus Christ. I think what this lends to us is an understanding of where our boldness comes as we go forward. Several passages refer to us as ambassadors. And I like that term because it implies some political diplomacy as we go forward. And as we think of cross-cultural ministry or missions, we're talking about a nation-to-nation-to-nation transferring of the gospel, of the truth. That's why we're translating the scripture in so many different languages. And so I like the term ambassadors. Because who do we represent? We represent the true king. That's who God is. If you want to talk about uh, who really is the monarch of our lives, it's God himself. And that's who we represent as we go from nation to nation to nation. We don't represent the United States. We don't represent Kenya. We don't represent Brazil or Australia or any of these earthly kingdoms, but we represent the spiritual kingdom for God. And that excites me as we go forward. And we understand that it all comes back to this point. We are representing God himself. He is the king, and he has sent us out as ambassadors. The victory is a reality, and we need to embrace the reality as we anticipate going forward this summer in what we do. This morning, we're going to do several things. Uh, I'm going to introduce a video to you in a moment. You see on the screens where the teams are going. We're going to pray for them. After the video, we're going to have two students who are planning on going to the mission field after they graduate, uh, share their testimony. And uh, I think we'll all end our chapel this morning with a a common song and uh, trust that God will be at work at us, whatever our mission field is for this summer. But the video that you're about to see, I believe, demonstrates how God has been at work since the garden, from the very beginning, through men and women like us, to fulfill this very promise of victory that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. I don't know a lot about the patriarchs and I know the general history but I don't know enough to really know how that fits into mission today. The Lord God who spoke to Abraham is the Lord who created the universe and the earth and all mankind. So then we should never demote God to the status of a tribal deity. We should never forget that the Bible begins with the universe and not with the planet Earth. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. In the beginning, God's relationship with all his creation was close and personal. But early in the biblical story, the relationship between God and all people was badly spoiled. Humanity rejected the creator. Genesis chapters 4 through 11 describe the devastating results and the increasing alienation in all of creation. In Genesis
Genesis 12, God begins to reveal his plan to restore and bless people broken and separated from him. God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah to bless all the people of the earth through their family. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers Reuben, Simeon, Abraham's family did grow, and God blessed them with bread, land, and protection. He rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them the he green He divided the sea and let them pass through it. In the daytime he led them with a cloud. For I the Lord do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. The promise to Abraham included more than a large family. And His family was to be a blessing to everyone on earth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. From the root of Jesse shall come the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin. For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. Will he not cause to prosper all my hope and my desire? As the story continues in scripture, again and again God speaks to his chosen people in ways that remind them of their mission. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel. And Salathiel, the father Even when Abraham's family turned from God and worshipped the idols of other nations, God was still at work accomplishing Jacob, his purpose. The father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Matthew's Gospel begins by tracing the genealogy of Jesus Christ right back to Abraham. Matthew knows that he is recording the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. Jesus Christ was a part of Abraham's family, and Jesus knew he was on a mission to bless all the families of the earth. Christ's mission was central. He occupied a central position in his mind and therefore in his life. Deep in the self-consciousness of Jesus, was the knowledge that he had been sent into the world on a mission. It gave significance, it gave urgency, it gave compulsion to everything that he did. Wherever you look in his earthly career, his birth, his boyhood, his words, his works, his sufferings, his death, we are faced with the fact that he had been sent into the world and he knew it. Jesus declared, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is the blessing with which all people are to be blessed? The blessing is being restored to the loving relationship with God for which we were created. You have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is the blessing with which all nations were to be blessed? In a word, it is salvation. We were under the curse of the broken law, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse in our place, and Christ bore our curse. In order to inherit Abraham's blessing. Who are the true beneficiaries of God's promise to Abraham? Paul doesn't leave us in any doubt. We are. We're all called to be partakers of the very nature of God. We're called to have his mind, to be Christ-like, to be sold out to him. 
transformed into his likeness with our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit to think and see and care as he does. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And Jesus told the twelve, through whom many more heard, Mark and Mary, the mother of Mark, Matthias and Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira, Stephen, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And Luke. Empowered by the Spirit of God, the apostles in turn extended the blessing to the nations. The apostles clearly understood the importance of mission. They also understood their spiritual heritage. In Acts 3, the apostle Peter told the people, You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Since we are Abraham's children by faith, the families of the earth will be blessed if we go to them with the gospel. As the Father has sent me, I send you. In other words, as I have been commissioned from God, I am commissioning you from me. God gave me a job. I did it. I'm leaving. I'm giving you my job. You get going until I'm ready for you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. How did the Father send him? Into the world. How is he sending us? Into the world. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I'm talking to you. You understand what I say. You love me more than anyone. Tell me, would you lay down all you have? Well, son, your body's just a gun. myself. Does Jesus Christ live in me? Have I actually got the very character of God himself? This God who loves all men, this God who doesn't want any to perish, is he so indwelling me that he's loving through me, thinking through me, acting through me? Am I motivated by an indwelling Christ? said for us to go everywhere, but I hear in the prayer meetings, I hear in the worship services, God's servants, writing out and issuing orders to God. We tell him to go to the hospitals, Lord, and when you get through there, go over to Mississippi and visit my grandmother. Lord, I will not go down to the red light district because they will, that, that, that scene will rub off on me. But please, Lord, go down there and arrest the prostitute and suffer. We give God orders and tell him to go where we won't go. Jesus could not have served human need by remaining aloof in the safe isolation of his heaven. He had to enter our world. And his entry was not a superficial visit, like a spaceship touchdown in which the astronaut protects himself from exposure in a spacesuit. He laid aside his immunity to pain, to weakness, to poverty, to sorrow, to suffering, to temptation. He took upon him our flesh with all its weakness and its vulnerability. 
He lived among us. He made himself vulnerable when he became a human being like us. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. We are the church. We are his body. Therefore, we are the bread of life. And he says, go out and feed them with all that you are and all that you have and all I'll put through you. The witness of the early Christians was powerful not because they organized strategic campaigns, but because the church was a community transformed by the Holy Spirit and behaving like Jesus. The only thing that links the promise to the fulfillment is the command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And Abraham's blessing continued. Maria, Dieter, Ariel, Jacques, Gabriela, Dorota, Sven, in Genesis, we are introduced to a multitude, which no one can count, from every nation, blessed by God. And then in the book of Revelation, we are given a vision of that multitude from every tribe, finally gathered to God and worshipping Him before His throne. We need to be global Christians with a global vision, because our God is a global God. So may God help us to remember his 4,000-year-old promise to Abraham that by you and your descendants all the families of the earth will be blessed. Long ago on silent night in the lamp for a week. Um, I have the opportunity to share with you briefly just what the Lord's taught me from uh, three or four past short-term trips and uh, being a new MK now. My parents are missionaries over in Kenya, so I'm, my name's Tim Cantrell, by the way, and uh, last summer I went over to Kenya on the team that uh, Josh Mack is leading this summer, and I mean, it's, it's hard to describe. That was probably one of the most, definitely the most memorable summer of my life, and uh, I still look forward to seeing the team, and um, you know, I could go on about all the, the things that you learn from a short-term trip, and I think you just have to do it yourself and taste of it before I describe it to you. But I, I just jotted down some specific things that uh, the Lord really taught me just in going overseas. And I, I know it's just the tip of the iceberg because there's people there that have poured their lives out for 40 and 50 years on the mission field and feel a little inadequate to get up here and say, well, I've spent about maybe, you know, seven, eight months overseas total. Um, but even in those times, the Lord just has opened my eyes to so many things. Um, one thing I jotted down is I've just really grown to love travel. A lot of people just hate those long trips overseas and Forgive me, I was talking to someone just recently about travel really opens your eyes. To me, it's exciting when you see just the, the masses of people and it makes you feel just itsy bitsy. I mean, if you ever need to be humbled, it's an expensive way to be humbled, but travel. Uh, go on, when you go on a mission trip and you sit in an airport in Paris and you see a hundred nationalities pass by in front of you in an hour, you realize how small you are and, and it just really opens your eyes to a lot of things. Or you see the crowded streets or even the slums. I know of seen quite a few slums in Nairobi, Kenya, and some other places, and you see, you know, a million people living in a, an area about the size of Master's College, and uh, you realize how small you are, and just the, the masses of people, and it, it just kind of causes you to ponder, and I don't know, it's hard for me to take in. It kind of leads to my second thing I jotted down, that short-term trips have really impacted my view of God, uh, and my view of the way that He sees the world, and and a lot of times it really shocks your view of God because here I, I know that w whether we know it or not, we have a view of God that He likes for us to have nice clothes and to, to dress nice and to have good health and to have an education because we've always had those things. But somehow, and I haven't studied this, but somehow that's not God's plan for everyone. You know, there's people that are suffering. Most people in other worlds, are death is a, is a constant companion to them. Death is always real. Um, they're suffering. I worked with kids in the slums in Nairobi uh, the first summer I went over there, and I couldn't believe the things I saw. You know, kids sniffing glue and uh, waking up every morning just looking for a piece of bread and begging on the street. It doesn't make sense. It really, it really rocks your view of God. You know, I mean, we've all read Knowing God, but um, maybe there's a chapter there left out because, I mean, it, it really rocks you when you're over there. And I'm still wrestling through that. But the world's suffering, and people are dying, and it's not our little American view of God. Um, so it, it challenges you. But also you see their character that's come from that suffering. Um, and another thing that I jotted down that I, I realized is that God's Word is still true and it really gives you a greater confidence in the Scriptures and in the Gospel. When you go overseas and you see people in another language, in another tribe, 
in another, with a, another whole setting in another country, and still the gospel is true. Still the greatest need they have is sin. Still the greatest, they're all slaves to sin. You can see it, and you can see the gospel lived out. So it gives you more confidence, and you see the gospel practically applied. And also you learn from the Christians, those who have received the gospel. They've gone through a lot of suffering, and, and because of that, they've got a lot more character than most American believers, and they've got a real hunger for the truths of God's Word. Um, it, it challenges you, because over there, I, t- I can consistently find myself saying, people over there want it more, and they have it less, you know? I mean, if we want any book on any theology, or even if we want to hear the clear gospel, we've got somewhere we can go. Now, granted, most churches aren't teaching it, but we've got somewhere we can go. A lot of people there are so hungry. We'd be in Kenya... And kids would just stand for an hour, 500 kids in a schoolroom, and listen to you preach the, the clear gospel. Maybe they hadn't heard it presented clearly and very biblical before. And they're so hungry there. And the believers also are so hospitable, and they take you in, and they just they always fix enough for a few extra. And there's just such a selflessness there that I, it continually impacts me. And that kind of leads to the last thing I wanted to mention about what I've learned um, is, is the simplicity of life. That's probably one of my favorite things about short-term missions, and I can't wait. June 5th, I'm taking off to Kenya for another nine weeks, Lord willing. And uh, I can't wait because it's so simple. You know, you just got a mattress. You live out of a suitcase. You got your Bible and maybe one of your favorite books and a hymnal, of course. And, I mean, it, it's simple. Life's simple over there. And it's also simple, your purpose. You go out, you preach the gospel, you love people, and it's really clear. And it, it's, over here, it's, it's hard to have it clear that, that way sometimes. A lot of times we don't realize how simple our lives ought to be. It's exalting Christ and and uh, serving people. And it's really clear on a mission trip because that's all you do every day. You wake up, eat, preach the gospel, go to sleep exhausted, wake up the next morning, and it's your life. And, and you also learn to live with a few pair of clothes. You know, I mean, shoot, I could wear this the rest of this week in Kenya. It would, it would work great. Uh, I mean, you just learn to live simple. You don't, real, you don't have to have a, only wear one outfit for months, you know. And it's really nice. I like that simple living. And uh, that kind of leads into what I'm, I just, I'm supposed to let you know. And I'm excited to let you know, and I think Kathy's going to do the same thing. She's probably wondering where I'm going to stop. Um, about where the Lord's leading me in the future. And honestly, you can pray for me because every time I go to Africa, you can ask the team. I'm convinced. God's called me to Africa. You know, East Africa is my field. Then I come back, you know, and I, I realize there's just needs everywhere. And uh, it just overwhelms you, the needs, whether it's here in the church in America or the church over there. Um, it just breaks your heart. And so my desire would be to, be go, to go somewhere like East Africa and to teach the believers over there because they're so much more hungry. They're so much more hungry, you guys. And, and there's such an opportunity there to teach people just the basic truths. I mean, it's so exciting to explain to someone what, what uh, the attributes of God mean. You know, just basic things that you learned here in your freshman year of class. And they need the, they need the knowledge of God's Word. But I don't know where the Lord will lead me. I'd be willing to, I mean, it would be harder to stay here, but I'm willing. And so I just pray, all I know for now is that I'm just going to study the Scriptures to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, and, and just uh, just get a solid foundation so that wherever you go, your mission's the same, ultimately. It's just to preach the Gospel and to explain the Scriptures to people. And so uh, we'll see where the Lord directs, but um, I'm going over the summer. You can pray about that and maybe an opportunity in Ethiopia and some other different little things, so you can pray about that. And uh, I want to close with a line I sang the um, first time I went to Kenya in the church we were there. Uh, we sang this, these lines, and it really stuck with me. Um, it's a mission hymn that goes like this. It says, um, Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know Thee, renew before Thy throne the solemn pledge, the solemn vow we owe Thee to go and make Thee known. That's what mission's about, making God known. So uh, I'm excited to do that wherever. Hey, Kathy. Um, my name is Kathy Reeves, and um, actually I'm a missionary. I'm leaving in August to um, go to Germany. And um, what I'll be doing is working with American military youth. It's called Malachi Ministries. And what I'll be doing is going over there and running a youth program with a, a partner of mine for the youth that are over there. And just to give you kind of a, a view of what it's like, if any of you guys have been raised in a military home, you move about every two years or so. And luckily for me, I was able to move around in the United States when my father was in the Air Force. But there's some youth that are um, moved over to Germany with their parents. And um, it's something that's hard for them to do at times because it's easy to move around the United States because at least you speak the same language, you have the same customs, and everything's normal for you. You get shipped over to Germany, and you're on a base where everything's normal to you, but to go off base, they don't speak the same language, they don't have the same customs, and so they're kind of just stuck there. Another aspect of it is, is that when you move around a lot, sometimes you feel like there's no firm foundation. It's like all you do is say hi, 
and then like two years later you had to say goodbye again and it's something hard for them to do. So I'm really excited to be able to go to Germany and be able to um, give them a firm foundation that they don't have, which is Jesus Christ. I haven't always wanted to be a missionary. Actually, at one point, I thought that would be the worst thing that I'd want to do, and I was just praying that the Lord wouldn't send me anywhere um, overseas. I'd been on short-term missions before. I've actually been to Kenya, where, um, um, where he's also been, and <laughs> where Tim's been. Sorry, I didn't know if you wanted me to say his name again. Where um, Tim has been, and... Um, I went to Uganda and Kenya and just saw all the, the hurts and needs of people, and I thought missions was great, and I thought mis- being a missionary was great, but it wasn't for me. And it's so true that there's so many people out there that don't know Christ, and, and we take it so much for granted that we've just got it so easy here. But there's so many people who are lost and who have no hope and who have no foundation. And it was a year ago, um, last Missions Expo, that I um, got one of those fold-out pamphlet things, and um, I had no desire to be a missionary, but I looked through it, and for some reason I circled Malachi Ministries, and I didn't know why. I called my dad later that night, and I said, Dad, something really weird's happening to me. And so um, he goes, well, let's pray about it. So we started praying about it, and then pretty soon I ended up flying out to um, Colorado to be appointed as a missionary. So I'm very excited to go out and be able to share the gospel with them, but also um, it's something that's, that's hard to do. And I think I'm realizing more and more what a sacrifice it is to um, leave everyone, leave everyone that you know, leave your family, and take off and serve the Lord. And before, that's never, has never been anything that I had to deal with about um, sacrificing, picking up everything and following Him. And that's something that's even getting harder and harder as time goes on as the Lord's blessing with new people in different circumstances. But I think now that I'm learning that um, in life, He's the only one, and He's the one that we need to follow. And that even though things seem easy here in the United States, we always need to sacrifice for him. And maybe that means just sacrificing just in the world around you, in the States, or even just sacrificing your life and going overseas. And um, I'm just very excited, but also it's something that you guys can pray about for me because it's going to be something that's hard. I'm going over there as a full-time missionary, um, not really knowing when I'm going to be back home. So... um, I just encourage you all just to get involved in short-time missions because it does change lives and not just change the lives that you impact, but also changes your heart for the compassion of people out there. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate that. I'm going to have them stay up here. And at this time, I want to invite uh, all the team members who are going out this summer to come up and join me on the stage. You can crowd around over here. Uh, we have just over a hundred students going out this summer. And if you guys watch the cord, uh, I tell them this is the kind of, it's kind of the Billy Graham effect, uh, as everybody comes down. But I just want to make a few comments as they come. The students this year are joining over 900 students who've gone before them in the last eight years, uh, sent out from the Master's College. You need to know it's been a year of sacrifice for them. Uh, as far as their time is concerned, uh, significant amounts of time. They're full-time students. They're ministering in the churches. Uh, they've had intensive training offered to them. We'll keep crowding in. There's some space over here if you guys want to jog around. You're welcome to. I just want to say that today we want to recognize these students as those uh, who have made a commitment to go out. We want to affirm their hearts. We've watched them over the course of the semester. We feel like we can stand behind them, know that they'll represent not just us, but their home churches, and of course Jesus Christ uh, with integrity. And it's our desire today to just ask you as a student body to lift them up in prayer, uh, to join with them. And I want to mention just a couple things. You all received a blue bookmark as you came in. It lists all their names. And this is a prayer reminder we want to put in your hand. And I'd ask you that uh, as you see their faces up here, if you wouldn't mind, those who live on your wing or personal friends, would you just circle their names uh, on this bookmark? And stick it in your Bible. And this summer, as you go to have your devotions, would you pray for a few of them? Uh, being on the field at different times and knowing that someone is lifting me up on a daily basis uh, as a prayer partner has made all the difference in the world. Um, to know that you have that strong tie at home, and there's some long and hard and weary days. And uh, with the confidence that someone's praying for them, it is a, a tremendous sense of uh, support uh, and encouragement. You've also been given a yellow survey. Looks like this. We're interested in finding out where you'd like to go 
uh, the summer of 1996. And we are beginning now to recruit our leaders and to build our teams. And so I'd like you to take a moment to complete those before you leave today and hand them in on your way out and let us know uh, if you'd like to be up here next year and uh, where you'd like to go in doing that. At this time, I'm going to ask Dave Maddox and Joe Davis to come on up, and they're going to lead us in a time of prayer for these students and then for all of us as we go forward. Before I pray, um, I want to read just a few verses from John. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and the same came for a witness to bear light to the light, that all men through him might believe. But he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made known by him, was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but were born by the will of God. And the word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of him, and he cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have received grace unto grace. The voice on the video said that the first century church transformed its world because they were a community of people that had been transformed by the power of the Spirit of God and lived like Jesus. My prayer for you this summer will be that you will experience what it means to be transformed by the power of God as you minister, that you will experience the fullness of God's grace, and that you'll live like Jesus. Let's pray together for them. Father, we just uh, pause right now with an awesome sense of what it means to be a witness to the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, that that uh, witness is built upon the foundation of our own holiness and our own passion for you, our own experience of what it means to be transformed by the power of your Spirit, our own involvement in walking daily in the strength of your grace. And God, it is my prayer for those on the platform as they minister in a special way this summer, that they will know you as a God of provision and grace and power, and that their lives will speak of that, and that they will know something of what it was like when Stephen stood before the people and his face shone as an angel because of the fullness of the power that was in his own life. And God, it is also my prayer for us uh, that are sitting, that are not going on these trips, that we will be faithful in our walk in the family and the friends and the colleagues at work that we touch, that our lives will also be filled with your grace and your glory and that we will be a light and a witness to your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.